Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast. Today I am rejoined by Sam Friedman, whose first appearance was on episode 69 and it was amazingly received really. Like people absolutely loved it. They said it changed the way they thought about the index and some said it changed the way they thought about life in general. So he's been dubbed by some as the Football Index Freud, which is uh, amazing. Why don't you remind those who didn't listen to last episode uh, a bit more about yourself and kind of your Football Index journey so far? Uh, thanks for having me back. I uh, really enjoyed uh, doing the last one and all the response to it and uh, all the questions I got off the back of it. Uh, my day job has absolutely nothing to do with football index I'm or, or anything to do with football. Um, I run a charity. Um, I've always worked in the sort of education sector, done various jobs in government and in charities, and now I'm running a charity that does international education work, uh, mainly in Africa. Um, but uh, football index I started doing uh, almost a year ago now, 11 months ago just uh, during the World Cup um, and uh, really enjoyed it. Um, don't have a massive port compared to some of the uh, other guests you have on here, but um, I've uh, I've certainly got better at doing it over the course of the year. Um, I think even since I last came on, um, the share split was a bit of a turning point for me. And, and um, I've, I've, I've sort of, before that, I was sort of growing as everyone's growing because the product's growing, but and now I feel like I'm actually beating the market most days which is which is uh satisfying so um yeah really enjoying it yeah i think the share split has had that effect for so many people and i think it's just been very stimulating for the market made it a bit more liquid what's what would your advice be for someone starting out now i think it's it's slightly different to when you first came on which was best of 15 16 weeks ago now so prior to the share split what what would you say to someone who's who's starting this week um, well, you've got a bit of time because obviously um, new season, we've got a couple of months for the new season. Um, so uh, I would really just focus on doing your research. Um, obviously, look at everything on the site itself, listen to some pods, read some blogs. Um, if you're intending to invest a serious amount of money um, or even a, a, a medium amount of money, then then get index gain, get all the data, um, analyze it. The moment you get the data, you're in a minority of people using the index, so that already gives you an advantage. Um, and uh, uh, and just just put a bit of thought in, you know, buy a couple of players to test it out and understand the dynamics. But 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 just do your research before going in big on anyone, and uh, and just make sure you're set up for next season nice and early because um, people leave things late on the index and there'll be um, surges in 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 players. I'm sort of guessing late July, early August, as people try and set themselves up. So if you get in a bit ahead, you'll you'll be you'll be well set up. Mm, I think uh, that that's certainly something that a lot of people have have talked about, right? Being ahead of the market by doing your research, and it does really pay off. I mean, if you especially have a forward thinking plan where you're thinking not just one step ahead but two steps ahead, it mm. can lead to uh, some big bits of profit, but. We mentioned earlier that you had a, a fantastic, fantastic response to the first podcast. Uh, when I put the tweet out to uh, <laughs> that, that you were coming back on, we had ridiculous amount of questions. I even posted on the forum, the Football Index forum, and I went back to the the post after I'd first put it on, and it had like 15 comments. So I was like, crap, when are we going to fit all these in? But before we get into some of those questions, I just want to let you guys know you can also check me out on YouTube 
uh, I've just restarted the bank builder with £50, stupidly. I don't know what I'm doing, but that started off quite well, the first episode, getting up to £70. And uh, please do check that out. Subscribe to the channel, like some videos, do all that good stuff. And if you guys haven't subscribed to the podcast so far, what are you waiting for? Buttons right in front of you takes a second and it helps me out a lot and if you have already done that and you do love the show then please do leave a review there's over like 100 reviews now when it um and it really does help me out makes the the pod look a lot better but we'll go on to some miscellaneous questions here (laughs) uh fi greengrass these handles are getting a lot more interesting people are having to get a lot more creative the the less handles are on offer which person off of the fi community do you think would have the best chance of becoming prime minister and why (laughs) (laughs) um it's a great question um well i was thinking about it and actually if you look at um twitter particularly um around fi there's a hell of a lot of people who apparently have no sense of shame and a completely unjustified self-confidence in their ability um which means that lots of them would be suitable to become prime minister by now i think so um but uh uh I, I don't think it would be fair to pick on one person, given that uh, given that it, you you, ha- you have to um, have uh, so many negative qualities these days to want to do the job. <laughs> Moving swiftly on, uh, but it's funny that we've got FI Greengrass and then FI Gardener straight after. Uh, Sam, how concerned are you by FI bringing out their own podcast and what its potential impact is on our beloved fig um, oh. that's very sweet um i i am not at all concerned on your behalf i think uh <laughs> corporate blogs and uh, podcasts and, and the like tend to not work very well because there's obviously a lot they can't talk about and a lot they won't say um so official official uh things never never work as well as unofficial takes on things so i think you'll be fine for a while <laughs> to come <laughs> oh you're 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 very confident um i saw shell started a podcast the other day which <laughs> i thought was amazing um everyone wants to bring a podcast yeah. out this 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 day i think it's uh it's good though in terms of fi uh creating content yeah. um I, I do i do like it i just worry that when things are in a downturn in terms of people getting pissed off at bits of the product that that bit of content that they create whether it's the fitv whether it's a blog whether it's an article whether it's a podcast it can quickly turn south just because people are in that kind of rage yeah mode. And, and, and they won't they won't talk about it openly because they can't um necessarily so um that just will annoy people even more if they do some kind of pod or uh, or video that doesn't mention the latest thing people are annoyed about then um, that just makes people even more annoyed. So. Yeah, it's it's they need to, I guess, be careful on that side. But I'm I'm sure they've got some good comms. Yeah, people and at, actually, at... I know you've got a question about sort of communications later around the Opta thing. But but generally speaking, their proactive comms has been really good. Like the last couple of announcements have been really well done. Yeah. Um. And and you know they, you don't grow a uh, an organization you know, times five in a year without without some pretty good communications. So. Mm-hmm. I think it's the the reactive yeah, side of things exactly. that maybe people want to want to see a bit more finesse yeah, on, exactly. but uh, we'll get onto that at a later point. Uh, from Misto from the Football Index Forum, how do I Brexit proof my portfolio? Now, the last time you spoke, I think I remember you saying that we have a fifty fifty tar- fifty fifty chance of a recession in a in a no deal scenario. Now, I have 
absolutely no idea about anything to do with politics. Uh, so so you'll have to guide me through on this one. How do I Brexit-proof my portfolio? Well, I think I think since I was last on, no deals become more likely um, as a result of you know, May failing to get her deal through and obviously going. And now there's going to be a new Tory leader who will probably be more, um, well, will certainly be more pro-Brexit than she was and potentially sort of be happier to do a, a, a no deal. Um, so I think it's got more likely. I think actually... FI is probably quite a safe place to have your money in if there's a recession. Um, gambling is what is a is a counter cyclical um, uh, industry, so actually people spend more on gambling when there's a recession, um, often because they uh, they uh, feel that the, the traditional ways of investing money aren't going to have any positive impact, so they they take a few more risks. Um, so I think uh, so uh, it it could be it could be fairly safe in that instance, um, but. Um, <laughs> I think I said last time, the only real world impact I can think it would have on football would be um, work permits. Um, and just so just keep an eye on if that happens, what happens to work permit rules. And we, we are actually seeing quite a few clubs linked with players outside of the EU at the moment. I know Arsenal have been linked to quite a few Brazilian players due to potentially Edu becoming their sport- sporting director. I know City have been always uh, usually buying players from South America and then sending them out on, on a load to Spain. I know that the guy that they've got over at Girona, Douglas Luiz, still can't get a work permit. And maybe that will change if we're out the EU. I don't really know the intricacies, but there could be something interesting that happens yeah. there. I mean, I think the, the, the biggest risk is that the rules that apply to non-EU players are applied to EU players. So mm. like getting someone in from France or Spain or Germany suddenly is much more difficult and you can't get kind of young French players because they have to have played certain numbers of games for the international side and so on. Um, and that could reduce Premier League dominance, which obviously this season has been very strong. But, I mean, this is a long way away. But it, but it could, on the, on the flip side, be good for English football, right? I mean, Yeah, you could have a lot more English footballers coming through if, if clubs aren't able to so easily just pick up the latest kid out of the Barcelona academy. <laughs> it might be, it might be um, better for, for young English players. And then on that side, if we flip it back to FI, you could have a situation where if we have loads of English players that are actually good, because by the laws of probability, if there's more of them playing in the Premier League there's going to be more good English players and we could have a a lot more of a competitive media buzz especially if it's completely opened up to everyone I guess again we're we're speaking so hypothetically here yeah yeah it's sort of this is a long way (laughs) um yeah I mean in theory you could you could you could do that although I think you know there's always that debate about whether young English players do better if there are more great foreign players to learn from or that harms them because they have fewer chances in teams. But um, So many yeah. different things to consider. Mm. <laughs> Advinkler's Index from the Football Index Forum. This is a weird one. <laughs> if you were given the choice of three dinner guests, living or dead, and assuming that your first two choices have been allocated to Ian Smith, a.k.a. Harold Bishop from The Neighbours, and Ted Moult, famous for his Everest double-glazing adverts in the early 80s, who would your third and final choice be? unquestionably the oddest question I've ever been asked. Um, you're probably too young to even know who Harold Bishop was. Like, I, I don't know who Ted Moult is for I, sure. I definitely don't know who Ted Moult is, but I do know who Harold Bishop is. I, I don't know who I did. I, I did mostly... watch Neighbours when, when he was still a character. So. <laughs> I was never a big soap person, so even the age barrier is, is one. <laughs> the, I, I, I never really watched soap, so I wouldn't know. Well, anybody else who watched Neighbours back in, back in the late 80s, early 90s when he was a character will know that um, Madge, his his wife, who he was uh, cruelly parted from in in one of the episodes, was would, would be the the obvious third choice of dinner guest. 
um, so that he was reunited with Madge. Um, I, uh, in terms of dinner guests, I mean, there's any you could, there's any number of interesting people you could choose, but keeping it football focused, I'd probably um, Pep uh, mm. Pep Guardiola would be the. I, I'm just so fascinated by his management style, what he's done at you know three clubs now. Um, he's got he's the most sort of intelligent thinker about the game I think out there. So I'd love to love to meet him and have dinner with him. He's a very smart man. I'm going to flip it onto the entertaining side. I might choose someone like Ray Parler. If you've ever listened, if you've ever listened to a podcast with him on, they are like actually laugh out loud hilarious. He talks about I think his the first time he was named in the Arsenal squad was Anfield away or something like that, and um, he, he wasn't actually named on the bench, so he decided to go have a few drinks pre-game um, because he didn't think he was even going to be on the bench. So he went over to to the bar, had a couple of drinks. Someone pulled up an injury during uh during the warm-up or something like that and they were looking all over the hotel to try and find him they were like ray ray (laughs) so-and-so's got injured you've got to get on the bench and he was like beer in hand i think he'd already two or three beers down he was like well can i finish this at least (laughs) and it's sort of those crazy stories where you just don't know if they're quite true but he's got so many of them they must they must all be true and i think um if you've got a couple beers into him over dinner that'd be quite funny I think the early 90s Arsenal team, sort of like Merson Adams Parler, would be a pretty entertaining group of people. God knows how good they would have been if they weren't actual... <laughs> if they'd like... all been sober. Yeah. <laughs> right, uh, we'll move on to some actual like index-y questions. But uh, last time you came on, you recommended a few books, and I think a few, including myself, went away and read a few. Uh, Jay from Twitter says, which books would you recommend for learning about market psychology and why? So you named a few in the last episode uh, that you can probably repeat and then maybe talk about a few yeah, more. Yeah, so the, 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 the book I recommended, I think quite a lot of people have, have bought off the back of it, was um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, which is, I think, the best book on understanding human psychology probably that's ever been written um and uh definitely worth if you haven't had a chance to look at it yet picking that up um i think uh there's a few books actually that are more focused on market psychology that um might be interesting to people so i, I mentioned this one last time misbehaving by uh, uh richard thaler um and um i re- actually reread it after i did did the last one um, and there's a the second half of it is really all focused on market psychology um, and why the kind of efficient market hypothesis, this belief that markets will always be behave rationally is not true um, and how you can make some predictions about how markets will behave and so more volatilely than they should and so on. So that one's really interesting. Um, a couple of others I didn't mention last time, Animal Spirits by a guy called George Akerlof, an economist, um, again, on markets and economy and how behavioral psychology affects the way people think about their investments, a book called Risk by Dan Gardner, which is obviously about risk um, and thinking again about how us, how we're very bad at judging risk. Um, lots of examples like the fact people are much less likely, you know, likely to want to go on a plane right after a crash, even though that doesn't in any way affect the likelihood of their plane crashing and, and sort of the, the ways that we incorrectly think about risks that we face. Um, and, and for anyone who's sort of really, really super nerdy economists out there who may, uh, who who want to read something um, a bit more um, academic, there's a really interesting book called A Crisis of Beliefs um, that's uh, come out quite recently, um, which is uh, about the financial crash in 2008 and how psychology, how behavioral psychology sort of led people to completely miscalculate 
their decisions around around that that, that financial crash. Um, so all of which, so these are all sort of more related to trading on, on sort of normal markets um, and how you can use psychology, um, plus some of the other recommendations I made last time. Well, that's that's a very thorough list, and I'll be sure to uh, get them uh, in the description of the podcast and probably in the in the tweet when it goes out, so you guys can uh, have easy access to them. But now we've got some actually actual FI related questions, uh, and the first section we're going to talk about. Adam Cole's Q&A, which was done midweek, and uh, there was a few questions on this one. Football Index MDJ Mel, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago and, and did a stellar job. Adam Cole's Q&A gave us a strong hint that IPDs look likely to stay with possibly a longer eligibility period in future. Does this mean that in-play dividends will drive the market in future, with performance buzz dividends becoming the bonus? And are you changing your trading style as a result? Um, yeah, great question. I definitely noticed uh, he's not he's not that subtle, Adam. Um, he was definitely pushing IPDs. Uh, you know, more or less confirmed they were here to stay, which I think probably everyone thought they would be anyway. Um, uh, but also hinted at, at sort of developing them out a bit. And my view certainly has been for some time that they will um, expand IPDs because they are a... Um, in many ways, especially for newer newer players, a more more attractive form of of playing. Um, in that uh, we are designed, our brains are designed to prefer lots of wins, even if they're smaller, to one big win. So, sort of winning constantly over over several days, you know, over a weekend of football, is going to give you more enjoyment than maybe winning one PB every week or so um so uh so i i, I think and also as it's, it's a it's a uh, it's a way of driving trading um more rapidly because the hold the hold is shorter than it is for for pb so so i think they'll definitely increase it my if i were them i would be looking at doubling the hold lengths for 60 days because the 30 day limit kind of really limits the group of players that are sort of really attractive for ipd um, sort of anyone over a pound is sort of probably not going to be worth it unless you think they're going to have an amazing month. Whereas if it was extended to 60 or even 90 days, that brings a lot more of the market into being attractive for IPD trading. So I, if I were them, that's what I'd be doing. If they do that and it, it, there's no sort of corresponding PB increase at the same time, then yeah, that will absolutely uh, change the dynamics of the market and push people more towards IPD. I'd hope they'd also increase PB dibs at the same time. Yeah, I, I do find it funny how people were very concerned about positional changes or a change in the PB performance matrix, but they weren't really concerned about whether or not PB could become bigger than P. Uh, sorry, in-play dividends could become bigger than PB, and therefore that would kind of change the complete nature of the index and also what players are valuable who are not i mean if they were the same as they are now you raise them with no corresponding increase in performance buzz then you get to a situation where goal scoring defenders are worth a lot uh clean sheets for keepers are worth almost as much as a performance buzz win for a defender etc and all these different things i do think um something that joel uh said the founder of Football Index Edge or Football Index Analysis, if you guys want to check him out, uh, who was on the podcast a few weeks back now. He talked about how there's not really a good, clean run of uh, football 
if international games aren't taken into account. So we've got the season we've got the kind of uh the break in october time once the season starts and then you've got another one in like christmas time and then another one in march and then um there's the also the december winter there's the winter break for summer league so it's it's the 30 days does make it tough for people to be a little more, bit more passive in their investment doesn't it totally and actually if you look at the the first few months of next season, like every season, you have the kind of international break week every month for three months. And actually that that's two weeks. Um, so it's very difficult to buy for 30 days during that period, um, which is another reason why I think, again, logically it makes sense for them to increase the whole time to 60 or 90. Something you said was really interesting there about kind of um, lots of little wins rather than big wins uh, every now and then why why if that is the case and it is uh according to kind of like what you've just said about human psychology why are fi so against tiered pb because i think if the matrix was kind of changed slightly so that passes weren't weighted so heavily that there, if there was more layers in terms of like dribbles and duels etc if it was slightly more robust tiered pb would actually be a very good thing yeah i don't understand why they're so against tiered pb i mean for me it's the thing that would grow the market the most because um, the problem with pb um is, is is it's not completely random because some players are much more likely to win it than others but there are so many players now um ipo'd that the on a on a sort of triple game day um you there's so many players that can win that your player could do really well and still not win and that could happen week after week after week um, so, you know, introducing tiered PB would give a lot more certainty to traders, would certainly be one of the things that would in- would increase my investment a lot, and I think it would for a lot of other people. Um, uh, I can only think that they don't want to do it because of the risk, cause, because it, you know, with, with three-year holds, um, with tiered PB, it creates more risk to them and perhaps could reduce trading because people would be happier to sit on players that hadn't, you know, that at the moment they're, they're getting rid of more quickly. But... I, I think they're being a bit risk averse there. I think it would it would be a big, big growth inducement for the index. And I don't think FI realise how much people love PB. I really don't. Yeah. I really think that they are quite content with the notion that MB, PB and IPDs all loved the same amount. And obviously there are going to be some people that love more than others but i think the majority of people and probably the reason why we have things like football index edge and index gain are because people are so obsessed and love performance buzz yeah because it, for a lot of people including me this is a hobby as well as a sort of potential way to make some money um and that's the kind of fun of it i mean mb is 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 great in terms of, sort of earning regular amounts of money if you hold the right players but it's the same 10 players more or less every time so it's not it doesn't take a genius to figure out who those 10 players are and there isn't much uh, of a gain you can make over anyone else who can see the same thing um whereas on pb there's a lot more potential for spotting um you know positional change that might lead to something or uh, a new manager might lead to playing a different way and it allows you to to use your football knowledge which is obviously the thing that the whole thing was premised on to to make money so uh, yeah i completely agree it's um it's a real shame that they keep ruling it out because i think it would it would be it would really drive the product for me it should by far and away be the focal point of the product because we saw the most intelligent bits of trading i think at the beginning of this season where people were speculating about the right kind of things 
and I think uh, it's resulted in a in a market where what happens on the pitch is less reflectant on kind of the index, which is something that we don't want. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the last thing I wanted to ask you was, if in-play dividends are increased more so, how much more risky is that for FI's business model in terms of kind of how easy it is to replicate? Because the reason Mm. I think FI have been quite successful so far is that MB was kind of the proof of concept. PB came in and suddenly that stimulated the market and made this thing a bit more sustainable long term. But it also had such first mover advantage in the kind of manner or the way this business is set up however in play dividends are very cheap to kind of logistically do you don't really need to buy any data and uh it just seems a bit like that part of the business model could easily be replicated by someone else and that could be the starting point for another business say and then they could uh, move into media buzz and pb or whatever yeah, I mean, I think I said last time I was on. If I were, if I were going to set up a competitor to FI, I would do it entirely. I would do it entirely in play dibs based model, um, because it is much easier to do, um, and because you could make them more attractive than FI can make them, because you wouldn't have to be paying out on the other kinds of dividends. Um, and it's it is psychologically attractive, especially to people who like gambling, because it gives you lots and lots of quick wins and sort of endorphins that come from lots and lots of quick wins. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, I can see why they're doing it because they want to encourage training, trading and that is important. But I think my, uh, my warning to them would be to just try and balance it out with PB. Um, if you are going to change IPD and you are going to increase the whole length, which I would completely understand and make, would make a lot of sense, you know, don't do it at the expense of PB, but also just keep that an important part of the product as well. I, I agree very strongly that I think the whole times could change and that that would make them a lot more uh, attractive for a lot of traders and i think that they can't really remove them at this point in time even though it is you know technically quote unquote a trial there's been so many hints that it will stay but pb for me has to stay as the focal point and it is threatening to become not so much and i think that's going to be a real shame for the future and potentially the long-term success of the product if it's if it's not but uh we've got a few more questions here fpl grinder assuming as adam cole said this week the dividends aren't going to be hiked up again anytime soon how far away do you think we are from players natural ceilings uh uh, compared to what they are at the moment and uh kind of related do you think fi trading is any more or less rational than last summer Um, well i've only just joined last summer so quite difficult to, to, to to tell um i mean i think in terms of the first part of the question, he didn't quite say that dividends weren't going to be hiked anytime soon. He said that, that they'd just done one and there wasn't an immediate plan to do it again. But he did say that a few months before the last one too. So, um, I mean, I think I think they will increase PB again next season, whether it's at the beginning of the season or later on during the season. I don't know. But they will have to because the, the growth of the product just demands it. Um, at at certain points and actually if you look at the increase in value of the market since the share split it has actually already caught up with the increase in dividends that they did then Um, it's it's we've seen a sort of um, 20-25% increase in the value of the index since then Um, and that was more or less what the div increase was so so, so, so that there's sort of this constant ceiling pressure for them to raise raise dividends in some way or another, and they may feel that they're just going to do it through IPD rather than PB. But, um, but, but I think they 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 have to find ways to adding value because we we're going to keep hitting ceilings. 
Um, and I think actually a lot of players, if we're being honest, are already over their, their ceiling. If you, were, if you were assuming it was never going to increase. I think people are, a lot of traders, either they're just trading irrationally or they're assuming that ultimately we're going to keep seeing increases in value. So it's worth owning players that are a bit more, that are uh, valued a bit more than their actual worth under the current matrix. Yeah, it's it's risky, but considering the president, I don't really blame people. But at some point, FI are going to have to look at this and say, can we just continuously raise dividends? And uh, I think that's going to be a really interesting point in time for the product where it's going to be forced to innovate to a great extent. Yeah, I mean, I think they, there's, they probably can for some time to come. If you look at the growth this year, um, mm. if they were to just keep you know, replicating this level of growth for another couple of years, which I think is perfectly possible given there aren't that still, you know, we're only talking about sort of 40,000 or so active traders. There's plenty more potential growth. Um, it's when they run out of new users to add to the user base, that's when they have to move to a different way of making the product attractive. Um, but I think we're a little way away from that still. On to the next question, the FI investor, who was very good. I don't yeah. know if you listened to that uh, podcast, Sam. He was yeah, uh, very impressive when he came on. What are your thoughts on the comments made by Adam Cole during his Q&A about tweaking the PB scoring system and putting it out to traders? Since then, there have been loads of traders who have voiced their opinions on what should be tweaked or added, one of which is a game-winning goal and its value. Some are geared towards reflecting reality and some are leaning towards randomness. Where do you sit on this? and what would you like to see in the future um so uh i would i i think they're doing it in quite a sensible way if they are going to make changes to it it's definitely sensible to bring the community into making the decision um rather than just launching it on us uh, and then having everyone complain that they weren't consulted so i think having a sort of open transparent conversation about it is is sensible um i think there's a re there's a strong rationale for changing it if you think they're still a lot of growth potential for the product and most of the people who will end up playing it still haven't joined then having a pb matrix that is more logical compared to what's actually happening on the football field is sensible um i mean i think i said last time i generally uh don't like the the game winning goal model i think it's it's it doesn't reflect actual um ability or um a meaningful action on the pitch it's just random um, you know, just where your goal happens to be in the sequence. So I, personally, I would take that out. And I think there's, you know, you, you've discussed it with a lot of guests, but this sort of idea of um, making making uh, creative players more attractive by, you know, adding in take-ons or, you know, final third passes and things like that would, would, would be a sensible thing to, thing to do. It's just how they do it, because obviously that will change the value of players. So you have to be super careful about, uh announcing it in the right way perhaps announcing it alongside a div increase that um that slightly takes off the edge for players who lose out on it so it, just, as long as they're careful about it i think there's a lot of sense of sense to doing it yeah i think there is a lot of sense to do it i, I just worry that if they do it only to a slight extent there's gonna be people who are left wanting slightly so i think what what i'd personally do if i was them i'd make actually wholesale changes but I'd 
correspond I, i'd coincide it with a uh, dividend increase i really would and i think that would uh, and maybe even a deposit bonus you know whatever alleviates fears so much and i know there are going to be people who are there who have like hundreds of thousands in this things maybe even millions who are like look I, this is this would be ridiculous but if you know the value of your portfolio stays or if it's minus two percent plus two percent it's not that bad and also if you have that much money in the index then you're going to be able to react quicker to people who who don't have as much money in terms of like the actual uh, yeah monetary value of gains that you can you can get in terms of like the next three months after the changes are made because you know some people wait on money to come in from work some people you know people talk about like cash flow all the time but if you've already got like a million in the platform or a hundred thousand two hundred thousand in the platform then you're in a, a big advantage even if you have to like instant sell players to people that are waiting to get money into the platform if that yeah, makes exactly. sense because no, on, I just agree. I think you know, you've got you've got more flexibility if you have a large amount of money in there, um, and I think if, if if it's done in a sensible way with consultation and then, as you say, launched with alongside some other benefits like a div increase, like a bonus, whatever, um, then then it then it's then it's perfectly workable. Um, I just I just yeah, having seen some of their communications in the past, um, just, they just have to be careful about how they do it. But there's a real logic to doing it. Yeah, I think there's also, I don't know, a fear that, for for example, for FI, the bigger portfolios are obviously more important. That's just kind of the way their business model works. So for those people that they've made feel more important because of the way their business model works and because of kind of the account manager that they have that kind of talks to them, if everyone has the same kind of say, if this is kind of like a quote-unquote democratic vote, then you know should someone who's joined the platform yesterday have as much of a an impact on the future of the product than someone who's got like 200,000 in the thing that has a lot more to lose do you know what i mean there's there's that kind of balancing act i suppose if yeah, i have absolutely. to have to and think they also about. have to think about like people who are making sensible suggestions versus people who are <laughs> um but yeah that there, there are there are some major players on there but actually there aren't that many there you know there are only there are only a handful of people on there who have huge kind of over half a million portfolios um and i think fi could probably do a better job of directly hand holding them through some of these changes um most people have 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 smaller ports and, and, and the vast majority of people have very small ports so i think um it makes sense to gear to to the majority whilst hand holding those who are obviously very important to your business model definitely agree i think that's that's what you've just said there basically summarized my thoughts in a much more articulate way. Uh, <laughs> go on to a grinder from Slack. I'm not sure if that's the same as FPL grinder from Twitter. I think but we'll it ask is. This anyway. I think it's two questions was from the same person, but you'll allow it. <laughs> but but this is a good one, so I'll I'll, I'll definitely allow it. Uh, not sure if this has been recorded yet. Uh, and I put a question to Sam on Twitter. Yes, it is the same person. But thought of one for you, Fig, that may fit in well given FI's revenue was discussed on your previous podcast with Sam. So I saw your question you put to Adam Cole for his Twitter Q and A. And for those that you don't know, my question was: Are Football Index looking at doing another crowd funding raise? Um, is that something that you are possibly concerned about? And how do you ass- assess FI's finances following the recent dividend changes? Cheers. There's a lot in that question. Um, yeah, there is. I mean, I think um, 
I'm I'm kind of always fascinated by their financial model because ultimately that's the the only real risk I see around the product. Um, I mean, unless they completely mess up some comms. Um, the the it, it's a it's a very stable market. They're controlling the value. It's pretty well protected from this wider economy in a way that sort of normal stocks and shares aren't. Um, so I, there's a lot that sort of de-risks it compared to other kinds of investment, but. Obviously, we're very, we're all very dependent on their financial model being successful ultimately um, for the product to work. So I'm sort of always trying to figure out on the limited data they give us what their financial kind of position is. And I'm pretty sure at the moment they are spending a fair bit more than they're getting in, which is pretty standard for a startup that's growing very rapidly. So I don't, I don't that doesn't worry me. Um, but um, I think it, it, it's just I see a lot of sort of chat on Twitter and, and, and Slack and so on about um, people sort of thinking they're absolutely raking it in and sort of commission and IS and so on. I mean, there is a business model there, but 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 compared to how much they're paying out, it's not um, it, it, it doesn't balance at the moment. I don't think um, like if you look at their data they've put out, they've probably probably been about roughly 100 million of sales this year. Which is about two million commission, um, which when you think that in just in the first bonus of the three bonuses they're doing at the moment, they paid out a million. Like the, the commission is not covering their costs. Um, IS I think is more valuable to them. Um, I think they're probably making um, a bit more from IS than they're making from commission. But you know, even if you add it all together, um, they're they're clearly focused on growing very rapidly um, and then figuring out the kind of permanent financial model. Um, or or selling on. I don't think that's particularly a no, bad thing, and as long as as long as you know how you're going to pivot in terms of your business, because I think one thing my my CEO says quite a lot is that people start loads of crappy businesses, and the main reason they're crappy is because they don't know how they're going to make money from them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's very pertinent in this in this case where you have lots of startups who have a product, um, and and then suddenly they're two years down the line, like right, we, we really quickly have to make this um, more profit-oriented. And if you do that too quickly, you lose the faith of the, faith of the customers. So FI, I think, have been doing it at the right yeah, pace yeah. in terms of how quickly they're pivoting towards a more profitable model. But it's more that, like, what's the bigger push to make their... And I don't think, f- for all its great things, that FI will ever be making as much money as, like, Bet365. I, I just don't think it's possible. No, I mean, I think ultimately... They've got to be thinking about selling it to a bigger, bigger kind of gambling company like a Bet Three Six Five or a Labrooks or whoever. Um, and at, you, you'd see for an organisation like that, the value would be in the user base um, and being able to sort of uh, link it to other products, probably. Um, and the the cost to them would be is nothing; it's peanuts. So you know, if you get um, two hundred thousand active traders who are really into football. Um, and you get their details, that's worth a lot to those organisations. So, I mean, I think that's probably the, the end game, but we, I, th- I think we're still quite a way away from that at the moment. Um, but and, and even so, if you're a big betting company aggregating your current product with something like FI and, and linking them, if FI's business model is less profitable and a lot of your um, customers start using that new feature in fi rather than the fixed odds betting that could have a massive massive impact on your PL, yeah. which i'm sure lots of you know shareholders at a big gambling company really wouldn't appreciate yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's, there would be a risk for them too so um 
so how that would work, I think would yeah. So, so, so I still think this is all a few few years away. But my, I think the 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 aim for them over the next couple of years is just going to be continuing to push growth like they have this season. Um, which is why going back to our earlier conversation, I do think they will keep increasing dividends for a little bit longer uh, because they just want to keep driving growth. I mean, as they've grown. When I joined you know, less than a year ago, the market was worth about twenty million, and now it's worth about hundred million. Um, that, I mean, that's rapid growth. Um, and if they you know, even if they don't go on quite the same speed next season, you know, it's going to be in a few seasons they could be getting up over half a billion, in, you know, beyond if they keep doing the right things. So, um, I think that's just that's the business model for the next couple of years, and then and then there'll be other opportunities to sort of settle down into profitability. Yeah, so many things to consider, and I think that question could probably breed a whole podcast <laughs> in its own. Uh, Alexander from Twitter, best guess so far. Wow, is it a youth bias? Or a youth bubble. Uh, I can't, it's fascinating how obsessed people get with the youth thing, isn't it? Um, like it's sort of <laughs> a constant. People get so wound up by it on both sides. Um, I, 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 I've always thought, and it was pretty much the first thing I thought when I came onto the platform that you know, that there's the, the way the market is structured makes younger players much more attractive. Um, in the same way, I always use the analogy of like a leasehold. Um, if you're buying a flat, um, buying a flat on a hundred-year lease. Uh, you're always going to pay more than a 10-year lease, even if the 10-year lease flat is nicer um, and is going to be more pleasant to live in for the next couple of years. Um, it, it, it's just, it's they're just going to be on the index for longer, so they have more earnings potential. Um, so it makes sense that young players are, are, are more expensive. Um, it makes sense that that's where people are looking for sort of capital appreciation because um, uh, they're the most sort of unknown and volatile players. So if they do something great, that's going to attract people to them, and you're going to see much bigger appreciation than on than on older players. All of that feels fairly logical to me. The the only thing I think that is illogical is is people's um, uh, misplaced belief in the number of these players who are going to go on to be uh, great players. So I just think there's a bias, there's a cognitive bias there in terms of people thinking. All of these players who are currently hyped, or a very large number of them, are going to be successful. Whereas the reality is, only a very small number are going to be really successful. Um, and that's where I think the risk is for people who are trading in this this part of the market. Yeah, I, I definitely think you're right. There are certainly loads of players. I think I seems to mention Football Index SOTD or Lee every single podcast now, but he says some smart things. He says there are a lot of kind of youngsters that are very high in price, but also have potential for explosive returns so that's kind of returns over a short period of time where they may return kind of like three or four percent of their price within say a couple of months which i think we saw perhaps with you know Callum hudson Adoy when he was getting into the the england squad after playing for chelsea a couple of times you know unfortunate injury since then but those kind of players where they are very high in price but they do also have explosive um, potential returns there are those who as you said there are too many of them now though by just the, the laws of probability, they can't all have those potential explosive yeah, returns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you, just, I'm quite enjoying at the moment while people are bored because there's not much football on the um, the under twenties World Cup, and uh, like yeah, a, some some sort of French kid going up ten p because they scored against Saudi Arabia or something, and you're just like in the under twenties World Cup, you're like nobody else in the whole world is paying attention to this yeah. except for people on football index. This is this is really they're going up only because um, other people think they're going to go up. So it, that you you can sort of see little bits of bubble there. Um, but I do I've always thought that it makes sense for youth players to be 
um, premium and um, and for there to be a lot of trading around appreciation on them. It's just the way the market's structured. So I guess your answer is, to some extent, a bit of both. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a bias that's a rational bias towards youth. Um, uh, and also, especially if you consider that, if I'm right, that they are going to keep increasing dividends for a couple more years, that's going to obviously benefit younger players more than older players um, who will be sort of ending their career in that time. Um, but yeah, there's definitely elements of bubble where people are buying because they think other people are going to buy rather than for any logical reason. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, next question from Ali G. Are you worried about the future of the index if media buzz remains the main attraction over performance buzz? And I'm not sure from a payout standpoint if that is correct, but I can kind of see where he's he's going with this. Personally feel that performance buzz is what has attracted most users and what people find most ex- exciting. So it's a shame it seems to have taken a backseat at the moment in terms of dividend payout. So we've already kind of answered the, the kind of PB side of this, but... Media buzz. Where, where do you see FI going with this in the future? Um, I think they're a bit stuck with it. Uh, I think if they were rebuilding it now, they wouldn't do it um, because it's quite expensive for them relative to the enjoyment users get, I think. Um, it, because the same players tend to win it and they tend to be players who are valued very highly because they all they, they have more chance of winning it, um, the payout on media buzz is often more than on PB, even though the amounts are lower um, because a PB can be won by some 20p Italian defender, whereas MB is usually won by a player worth £5 or more. So the cost of them is much higher. So I think in their perfect world, they probably get rid of it, but they can't because that would cause too much of an outcry. So I don't see it growing very much. I think they're using it over the summer to fill a gap between football, um, which is fair enough You know, with the five places. That's a sensible thing to do. But, you know, I can't see them significantly investing in that versus PB and IPD. I do, I do think it kind of has quite a lot of potential. And I, I kind of understand what you said in terms of if they were rebuilding it, I'm not sure if it would be a, a, a thing. But it would kind of also detract from that kind of 365 days a year uh, value proposition that FI have created. If MB was to take in... Uh, feeds from every single paper in the in the top five leagues and if it was opened up to everyone and if we were using a matrix that isn't made by some random danish geezer somewhere (laughs) um i i think it would actually be really good and i think it would be far more dynamic and far more reflective of who's actually gaining the most uh, attention and i I think it's doing a decent job right you look at who's up there at the moment uh in delict who is the most talked about player at the moment in the world considering his potential transfer saga they've done a good job but if that was taken you know spanish french german italian outlets and if the if the matrix again we talk about the matrix so much wasn't as arbitrary as it is where you know united is what rewarded more than a bit and there's certain words that are rewarded more than others then i think it would be uh, something that i've think would not be a hindrance to fi but something that they can take forward yeah i mean as i said they're going to keep it they have to keep it because it'd be too much outrage if they didn't and there is definitely value in that kind of 365 model um so if they're going to keep it they might as well make it better um and i certainly agree on fixing the matrix which as you say doesn't make a lot of sense it drives me mad that hat trick doesn't get any additional points like it's a football product hat trick should get additional points um uh, and yeah, United and people with first names having a benefit over, you know, there's lots of little things that they could improve. They don't seem to prioritise it at all this year, which I think, you know, 
makes me think that they're a bit kind of fed up of it and wish it wasn't there. Um, but I think they, there's definitely ways you could make it better. Opening it up to other papers would be, um, again, really a, a positive move, but one you'd have to be careful with in terms of managing communications and players who've bought, you know, hundreds of thousands of Salah because he gets so much UK media. Um, so um, that would be a, that would be one you'd have to be a bit careful of. But again, I think it would, would improve the, the product. I think my game plan would be, if I was in their seat, to make it as good as we can with maybe some of the aspects that we've just talked about and then dilute it as part of uh, the proposition by increasing performance buzz. Yeah. Um, that would be my, my thing. Yeah. But I, I think what, you, what you've just mentioned about um, multiple goals in a game and, and kind of what we talked about game-winning goals beforehand earlier in the pod, um, I, I do think if game-winning goals were removed, then definitely the amount of like multi-goal bonuses in in a game for a player should definitely be added yeah which you could which you could do through through the matrix um and that would be a sensible change would be, be a much there'd be a much greater logic to that than the game winning goal Hmm. Um, Radio. next question from Mind Games with the marketing budget being tripled do you think this would attract casual gambers onto the platform and do you think these new users will be more attracted to capital gains over properly learning the dividend system uh, so I mean I think most of the users on the platform don't properly know the dividend <laughs> system already um, I do find it amazing how many people sort of who've been on for quite a while have a lot of money invested will just sort of like ask a question or when does when do these points get added when do they get yeah. surely you'd have done your research and learned the system um but but no i mean i think we saw in january we saw a big influx of new users who who and that really changed the dynamics of the market um even now but certainly Im- immediately sort of in january and february um and you had to react to that as people have been on the platform for a bit longer and i think that will happen again in July when they'll have their big marketing push and probably again next January when they do another big marketing push. We'll keep having these influxes of people who don't know the platform that well, whether they're casual gamblers or, or, or not. Um, and that will, we'll just have to be, adjust our thinking when that happens to um, the psychology of lots of new users entering the platform and who they're going to buy. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot for this summer, actually. Like there are players who probably aren't rational buyers, but if I were new to the platform, I'd probably buy. So are they? Do they become rational buyers? Um, given that we can expect an influx of new users in, in in July, I think. Yeah, it's it's interesting what you've just said there. If if you're outnumbered by people that don't know the platform, then you have to suddenly become the sheep in in the platform. If that makes sense. Yeah, you have to anticipate other people's irrationality rather than try and trade rationally, um, which is which is where the market gets really tricky. But I think I think there. With the example of January in mind, I think there are probably some things we can take into the summer in terms of how we think about that. Uh, the next question, or actually, these are questions from me. I thought we'd just kind of gloss over Optigate again. Mm. Uh, what did you think <laughs> of the whole situation? Um, well, I, I, was, I was extremely cross about it initially because it happened while I was speaking on stage at a conference <laughs> so I could feel my pocket buzzing away as everyone was like talking about it but I couldn't I couldn't take my phone out to look at it because I was obviously in the middle of a speech and then I sort of got off the stage and was looking at my phone it's like oh bugger I've missed I've missed everything um uh which was actually quite quite lucky in retrospect because then everyone changed back and I'd have just wasted a lot of money in uh, in selling everybody um it was it was it was annoying. I mean, these kind of things happen. I think the comms were 
the initial comms, and we talked about this a bit earlier in the pod, like their reactive comms are often quite poor, and they were definitely poor in this instance. Um, when something like that happens, you need to give people clarity very quickly, and it took them like three days to give any clarity as to what was going on and why those changes were happening, which was poor. Um, because it just didn't make any sense you know why were these players changing around um it still doesn't completely make sense to me even with their explanation but um but at least there is now an explanation um so i thought the reactive comms were were, were, were poor and i think it, it kind of says something a bit about how occasionally i worry they don't quite understand their own product um they they, they don't understand why information flows are so important and why understanding these kind of things makes such a difference to people's trading behavior there was something they put in the in the final explanation that Adam Cole released was like on the DDD's Q and A was like getting grumpy with us about the volatility. We don't we don't understand why this needed to cause so much volatility, and it's like that's not for you to judge. It's for us to judge what, what on what basis we're making trades. You don't get to decide the volatility in the market, um, and the fact they wouldn't understand why that would create so much volatility does bug me a bit. Whilst you've been speaking about it, I think um, I've just gone and found it uh, on on <laughs> on the website. I think it was a final word. Recent update updates were regrettable, and we do apologise unreservedly for the impact it had on prices. But it's important for the market not to react with such volatility. And in this case, the response was possibly <laughs> disproportionate, as was the response of a small minority on social. And that's just a bizarre <laughs> thing to include. I mean, the rest of that communication is pretty good, but that's just such a bizarre sentence to include. Like, it says to me that like, you, know, you don't understand how markets work if you if you sort of talk if you talk like that about um, about your product. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's the the solution they've come up with. Um, from what I understand, it seems pretty sensible. And if they mm. apply it, then I think it will probably deal with the issue for next season. Um, but it's uh, it's just like they have to understand that when something like that happens, the most important thing to do is not be defensive or um, or say it will be fine, but to give us immediate information about why something's happened. That's what will actually calm people down. Mm. And I think uh, take adopting that customer is always right mentality might help spare their blushes to some extent in, in a lot of situations yeah. and i think some people did sell up during that i mean i, I yeah. certainly didn't yeah, yeah, but yeah it was they lost some customers um, they definitely did which is a shame mm. and it's something that we don't want to see there was a little bit of market downturn people start um because the one thing you don't want is people losing money because of potentially something that you could root uh, as fi's fault yeah Absolutely. Um, which is something that you completely don't want. I mean, if it's someone else's, it's someone's own fault where they've bought a player really high and then sold them low, it's not FI's fault. But if a player's position is changed and that's something that FI can control, then, you know, you're looking at a bit of a sticky situation there for the for the customer and then, you know, inadvertently the rest of the platform. Yeah, and as I say, they, they, they've come up with a fix. But if they just said what the problem was straight away and then said what, yeah. you know, then, then I think a lot of, the fuss could have been avoided so hopefully they'll learn from it <laughs> yeah hopefully i am enjoying these these uh blogs that they're putting out though i think they're very good to alleviate concerns from traders but what do you think the best solution is because i think on the, on the last podcast uh, i talked about how they could have positions for each player in terms of what position they're playing in that game so Kimmich would be a, a midfielder if he plays midfield and a defender if he plays in defense i i, I think that seems 
quite logical and it would mean that you know if you bought Kimmich for performance buzz and you were hoping to win performance buzz via him being a defender then if he plays midfield for one game you still have the chance of winning um pb in as he's in midfield in the midfielders category but overall in the long term you've bought him for that kind of defensive position yeah it's an interesting one i mean i think that it would increase volatility clearly because players move around more than they do in terms of their positional change um and uh that always causes a bit more risk at the same time it's certainly been more fair and more logical like you've got players guerrero and atal and people like that have essentially been playing as wingers all season down as defenders um and they've they've beaten real defenders on some days for divs and you could argue that's not particularly fair, although I, you know, I've benefited from it. Um, so um, again, it would make the project, the the product, more rational, but it would increase volatility. Whereas their fix, that they, this the 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 waterfall fix, as they're calling it, um, just just sort of fixes it in place for the season. Seems to make sense. Yeah. Well, we'll move on. This metropolis from the. Um football index forum and i think this is going to be about books again (laughs) hi fig great choice i'd like to know more about the psychological side of trading and sam seems to be very knowledgeable in this area i'm currently reading thinking fast and slow by daniel kahneman after his recommendation in the previous episode i'm wondering if you can give any insights and examples from fi into the theories raised in the book and what it may mean for the future i think us traders could really do with understanding market dynamics as fi grows and trading strategies become more relevant and he says afterwards i can say this as it can feel, rightly or wrongly, like we are all benefiting from the general growth of FI and providing you don't overtrade or make very poor decisions, it's difficult for your portfolio not to grow over the long term. However, I feel sometimes that we won't always be this lucky and at some point we will all need to learn how to trade effectively for profit and not simply sit back and wait. It would be great to have his thoughts on how market psychology how market psychology does and doesn't apply to FI. Um, I mean, I definitely agree that we all have it pretty easy at the moment. Um, I think I said just at the beginning of this pod, um, I, I, I was just growing with the market for quite a long time I've been on um, and wasn't wasn't particularly trading very well, I don't think. Um, I think I've got better at it, but um, there will become a point where we actually need to, to, to um, know what we're doing to make money. Um, and I think, so just sort of thinking of this question as a whole and how you apply psychology, if you break it down to the simplest level, there are three ways to make money. There's three ways to beat the market. So the easiest way to make money is just to allow your port to grow with the platform, but that doesn't beat the market. There's three ways to do that. One, you react to news quickest. So, you know, the, whether that's a goal being scored for IPD or you know, transfer, a bit of transfer news at the moment, um, get in first, the player will then go up and you can sell and that's that's straightforward um but it means you have to be around um all the time and sitting on twitter waiting for news um and not everyone can do that i have a full-time job a lot of other traders will do that's not viable a lot of the time uh, second way is pumping which uh it does you know can work um definitely i wouldn't do because i don't think it's particularly ethical but it's 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 definitely a way to make to beat the market um and then the third one is anticipating trends um which is if you're a busy person um, and can't spend all your time on twitter and don't want to pump that's essentially the only way you can beat the market is by anticipating future trends more effectively than other people and that could be about a particular player who you think is going to turn into 
a brilliant player, but it, it, but it could also be around trading trends. Um, and that's where I think probably all of this literature around psychology is the most valuable um, in that it helps us anticipate what might not be purely rational ways of trading. Um, so an obvious example would be people overreact to stuff massively. So let's say they announce that IPDs are increasing and they don't change PB. PB players will drop, IPD players will go up, it will overreact and then that will create value around PB players for a short window before they go back up again. Um, so, so things like that where you can, um, where you just know from the way people behave that, um, that there's going to be an overreaction or an underreaction or a, uh, a response that isn't sensible. Um, you can build that into your own trading. And then there's all sorts of kind of like little tricks you can use. And um, the more you understand about cognitive biases and how people think that, that so the, probably the most successful bit of trading I've done, which is why I've been doing better recently, is before the share split, um, I, was, I, I, I actually took all, I think I said this on the last pod, I took all of the players and did my own share split on them to see what it looked like. And I could see immediately that players who dropped under a pound suddenly looked like amazing value. Even though, obviously, I hadn't. I think you, you mentioned reality. Trent Alexander-Arnold in the last podcast, didn't you? <laughs> I did, and he has gone up a lot since then. Um, he's also played pretty well, to be fair to. Um, but the um, but there's there's something called the denomination effect, which is a kind of well-studied effect whereby we prefer to buy things in smaller denominations. Like you might feel this, like if you're in a shop, like it's really nice if you can use up all your twenty p's <laughs> buying something. It's nicer than buying something with a twenty. And we're we're happier to spend smaller amounts of money, even though it might be the same amount of money that we're buying something for. Um, and so I thought like, there's a rational kind of thing that's been studied here. I've seen it myself when I looked at the when I when I did my own share split on the numbers. So I bought a lot of players who would become 50p or so under the new model, um, and they have really gone up. There has been a kind of big surge in that kind of price range. Um, as as they suddenly look cheap compared to other players, um, so that's kind of just a, an example of of how you can use a specific cognitive bias um, to anticipate a trend. Um, but there are loads and loads of examples that you could you could you could apply. Again, this could be a, a whole podcast in its own, couldn't it? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> the next question is from Abu Og. Uh, getting better. I'm getting better at deciding when. Or maybe he's asking how you get better at deciding when to sell what kind of questions should you ask yourself prior to pulling the trigger uh, so this is the thing i was definitely worst at like i left i left a lot of trades because i don't like um selling i hate giving them commission and, and i hate ising so I, um, I i there's far too many players last season that i left too long thinking like maybe something will happen that will change my luck which is really bad bad thinking um, so I've, I've really been quite consciously forcing myself to think more about this question of when should I sell and selling more um, and earlier. And there's sort of two triggers for me that I kind of try and apply to every player. One is, are they, are they doing what I thought they would do? So have I essentially made a mistake in my purchase? So if I thought someone, if I bought someone because a new manager turned up and I thought they were going to pass a lot more and then that doesn't happen, I was just wrong, so I should sell quickly because the rationale for my trade no longer applies. So I should just get out rather than hoping I get lucky and something happens. That's one. And the second is if they reach an irrational price. So if they if they get to a point where I would not buy them, 
um, then um, then I should then I should sell. Um, that might mean I you know you you, you can never time it perfectly for every sale, but I think it's probably better to play on the side of caution than to than to just hold on to players in the hope that something turns up um, and just have money sitting there slowly diminishing. Yeah, I think there's there's a few things, right? The first one is that you're never like only one person can sell at the absolute top. Yeah. Um which is which is a, a really strong thing to continuously tell yourself when you're selling someone that even if they go up 10p you kind of have to let that run and not feel guilty about it. You have to look at um, what the current price is that you're selling at. Would you buy that player at that price, which I think you mentioned, this is the most important question that you ask yourself. And if you would, what is their upside compared to their downside? And if their upside isn't far, far greater than their downside, then why would you buy? And if you wouldn't buy, then you should be selling. And I think the most important thing is if you're very kind of 50-50 about something or you're unsure about whether or not to sell someone or buy someone, then if there is an inkling in you that says, I should maybe sell this guy, but I'm not sure, sell a few. And the same with if you are unsure on buying someone, you don't need to go all in, buy a few more than you or less than you would usually buy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I agree with all of that. Um, and the other thing you can do is is to sense check with other people. Like I think one of the things that's really helped me over the last few months is joining a private group with a small group of other traders, um, where we've just started blogging some of our conversations, um, uh, uh, the round table we're calling it, somewhat pompously, um, <laughs> but uh, but but nevertheless a very smart group of people um, that I've managed to get into a group with off the back of the last pod actually, um, and uh, and in a private group you can sense check things in a way that you probably wouldn't do publicly. Um, and say, actually, like, would you guys buy this person for this price? Um, would would you sell now? And and that that's quite helpful, just because we 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 always we always have this sort of optimism bias about players we bought, and we always think, oh, you know, maybe they'll score a hat trick this weekend, or maybe they'll get some transfer news next week. It's quite useful to just have a check, and other people go, I oh, know, actually, that was just a dreadful trade. Get rid. Um, to 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 check your own uh, uh, attempts to justify your purchases. <laughs> yeah, I think talking to people that you value the opinions of is is very important. That's that's a definite thing that I would do. Interact with as many people as you can, and then find people that you kind of um, get along with. But importantly, people that can also challenge your opinions. Right? Absolutely. Uh, the next question we've got is from Alex Wood. What do you think a widely uh, spread portfolio is? I.e., ten futures a player and over two hundred players, or do you think it's better to go big on your confident buys? Um, so I I have very deliberately gone for a very wide spread of players um, and uh, smaller numbers of, of lots of players. So I've got almost two hundred players now, um, and I made that decision for a couple of reasons because. Um, because I'm very busy during the week a lot of the time and I can't actively trade, um, I, I, I don't want to hold much risk on any one player because they can get you know, horrifically injured like Cho or, 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 or lots of other kind of things can happen. Um, so, uh, so I want to have minimal risk on any individual. Um, and also because both PB, there's a level of randomness in PB because so many players are competing for one spot every week. Um, and because the way newspapers work means there's just so much transfer noise um, around, particularly now, you just need 
you need to have a pretty widespread for me to be able to just pick up. Uh, it's just impossible to judge in advance which particular group of 10 players are going to get um, dividends or uh, appreciation in any given week. So just having lots and lots of players means I'm just going to hit the target a lot of times um, and means I don't have to actively trade quite so much. Um, I mean, obviously, having a small port can work really well too if you're more active, if you're absolutely certain that there are 10 players, there's a trend that means 10 players are going to go through the roof, then that's going to be more profitable than having lots and lots of players. It just really, it suits the way I trade and my risk profile. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, there's no right answer. I think it's dependent on your risk appetite and how much time you can actually spend on the platform. I think those are the two main things you weigh up and then you kind of slowly realise what's best for you. And I think you can only do that via trial and error, right? Yeah, totally. Um, and the other thing is, like, for me, it's a hobby. So I like having lots of chances to win. That's not, <laughs> a, ra- that's not a rational reason at all. But, like, actually, the enjoyment you get out of something is it has a value in itself beyond the monetary. And, like, I, I, would, ha- not, I would really not enjoy having a port that meant most days I didn't have a shot at, at winning anything. Or also, um, if it stressed you out, amazingly so. <laughs> exactly, totally. Yeah, if I if I if I was sort of constantly searching one player because I thought if they got injured, that's going to cost me an absolute fortune. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've all been there, I think. And then you realise, do I continuously? Yeah. I think there's there are people who are very good at just like being okay with that. Um, if you if you are very good at um, handling loss, then by all means, becoming more risky in your trading is probably a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it certainly can lead to more profitability if you get it right. Uh, I think the last question for the podcast from Frosties. Um, what are your thoughts on order books? Do you think the market or user base is ready for them? Um, so I, I would really like order books. Um, I think that it is one of the biggest frustrations I have with the platform. I don't want to IS players, obviously, because there's a cost to that, but it can take forever to sell a player, even if they're not dropping particularly. Um, so I had a player on the market for two weeks recently. I just gave up and IS them in the end. Um, but they weren't dropping. They were, that, there would have been someone prepared to buy them for a reasonable price, but just not that price. So uh, order books would make the market more liquid, would make it easier to sell, which makes it easier to trade. So there's lots and lots of positives. I think people would figure them out pretty quickly. Um, I don't particularly worry about the user base um, figuring it out. I think my bigger worry is going back to our earlier conversation about financial viability is at the moment FI are making a lot of money out of ISing. Um, And with order books, they'd obviously make a lot less doing that, if any. so the increased trading would have to compensate for that and i'm not sure it would at the moment so on the other on the other hand though on the other hand though that they wouldn't have to have the cash in the the balance that the kind of liability needed to buy back fire instant sell even though they're making that um that margin from buying and selling the player they'd only ever have to sell players to the market in term- or sell bets that they make out of thin air into the market for x price yep yep so there's, I mean, there, are, there are definite advantages i just i'd want to be sure that their business model had adapted properly to, to yeah. it um and i suspect that's why they're being a bit cautious about it too um yeah. it, it has a massive impact on their business model not just on trading yeah and also um, at the moment like you have that many shares that were issued at a certain price and then the next certain 
you know a next a number of shares that were issued at a certain price and when people instant sell them they kind of go in back into thin air but if these shares are all like circulating uh with no instant sell or very little ability to instant sell then you could have a situation where you know there are loads and loads of shares of a player and it's very thick and they're a very low price because there's uh, not that much demand if that makes sense yeah and and not that many people want to want to buy at a a higher price and they kind of stay at that price and it's hard of them to move because there's so many shares in circulation yeah yeah so i mean it could have um would have all sorts of unpredictable consequences for both traders and for <laughs> them so I, I think caution again it's a bit of a theme of this this whole pod is like just them, them being careful about any changes they make to this product um again it would probably it would make it a more attractive product in the long run but they mm. just would have to be careful it works for them and they deal with it with any of the um consequences for us yeah my biggest concern is definitely what i talked about just then mm. I, I would um people would be buying or usually used to buying 900 of a player and they go up a pay and now you could buy 3000 of a player and they don't move suddenly mm. people were just like oh crap does that mean i can make less money yeah um but obviously then a player could jump 20p in one second now because of the way the order books are, are kind of yes made uh but again this is there's just so much to discuss on that end and we don't even know how fi will build them yeah. they're obviously talking to nasdaq to build them it's there's just so much to consider and it's not going to happen this year so it's not no, be no, an no, no, urgent no. issue but it's um it's it, it, w- it would have a one of the biggest impacts of anything they could do definitely definitely so is there is there anything else that you want to talk about that you haven't got off your chest or oh no i think we've, we've had a good go around most of the big issues at the moment i think yeah it's not been it's been it's been good and we've done it all in under one hour 15 minutes which wow. is amazing there we go Spe- speedy <laughs> as well speedy concise very informative thank you very much for coming on man i know you're a busy person and um but but you your, your enthusiasm for for fi is uh is very very amazing and and we love you being part of the community and you add so much uh intelligent thought to the conversation thank you very much thank you very much for coming on uh where can people find out more about you if they want to follow you or chat to you uh i'm on twitter um um s-a-m-f-r uh, you can find me there. I'm also on the um, Index Gain Slack, so you can find me there too. Brilliant. Uh, if you guys aren't commuting, doing whatever you're doing, please let us know what you're doing when you listen to the pod. Um, uh, if you are commuting, well, have a great commute. I hope this speeds it up and have a good day at work. Sorry if we didn't get to answer all your questions. There were so many. He's, uh, he's uh, His brain is in demand, this man. He's a smart guy. Uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll get to answering some of the questions that were asked in in future episodes Uh, whatever you're doing thank you very much for listening and have a great day bye